Good morning. Don't know, uh, depending on your feeling for Christmas music, not the ones we've sang this morning, but the jingles on the radio. Some of you may be past that by now. But uh, getting geared up, I've been listening to it all week. We fired up about Christmas, and uh, of course, you know, with our youngins, we stay fired up about Christmas all year. So the countdown begins. And then with spring birthdays, or I guess winter spring birthdays, we're already starting trying to move on to birthdays. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, like, let's get through Christmas first. But uh, hope that you're looking forward to the opportunity and spending time with family. And we obviously uh, mourn with those who who are also suffering during this time and the members of loved ones going on. But the beauty of that is that we uh, know that uh, there's a day coming that'll be better than Christmas, and it'll be all the time. And uh, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. We know that eternity is placed in the hearts of men, uh, but not really the mind. We, we really can't think of that. It's always on to the next thing. What's the next thing? And the schedule kind of dictates what we're doing. And, uh, but God is not on, he's not on a schedule. He's on his schedule. And we, uh, we are too, if we really think about it. But just thinking about everybody and the different situations we're in and Thankful for that Holy Spirit that was talked about uh, that is not cookie cutter. It's what we all need in the time that we need it. And it's the way in which God meets us where we are. Uh, you know, you think about there in John 14, just, you know, the, the weight of the world is probably on the shoulders of those disciples, but also on Jesus. And there were people that day that were going about their business, doing the things that they've always done. And uh, it's good for us to take a moment to, to pause and to understand. And we do it every week, uh, hopefully more than just once a week, but at, at least that time where we think about, you know, just a random regular day uh, for a lot of people change the world forever. And uh, we, we believe that and we honor that and we praise that. We're going to be in Genesis 35 uh, this morning, uh, talking a little bit about Jacob, uh, Jacob's return to Bethel. And I think it's interesting is been noted about Mary. I think the words, uh, be it done unto me, uh, are powerful words. And words that we see kind of reiterated through Scripture. We, we see it with Isaiah. You know, here am I, send me. I, I'm available. I'm not perfect, but I'm available. And God can do amazing things with people who are available. And it's really interesting to me uh, how people are along that journey. Right? We see Jacob eventually, and I think maybe our last lesson, I'm available, but it takes a while, right? And you may be on that journey. You may be still on that, working through, I'm available. And then you see a young woman like Mary uh, who at a young age gets it, right? I, I'm, I'm available, be it done unto me. We see Jesus in the garden. Not my will but yours. If there's another way, that would be great. But if not, I'm available. I'm making myself available. And so that's an important thing, I think, as we march into the holidays and wherever you're at uh, as Christmas approaches. Uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, me, I'm like, the more family get-togethers, the better. That's my jam. We're having a good time. We're partying. The more, you know, we're having a good time. That may not be your deal, but the gift of being available, right? You don't have to be the life of the party. But to be there and available, hey, I've got a listening ear. I've got a shoulder to cry on. It's such an amazing gift that we can give people. And we don't have to put a bow on it unless you want to wear one. I guess that's fine too. But, you know, to be available, to be in the moment 
a lot of times it's difficult enough on its own to keep us busy. And so we see Jacob here, and he receives this command, verse 1, from God. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. This is the only patriarch that is told to build an altar. The rest of them do it spontaneously. You know, this event happens. Oh, we've got to figure out a way to remember this. We've got to figure out a way to honor this. But here we have God saying, you're going to go. Echoes of Abraham, right? You're going to go, and I want you to do this. I want you to do this thing. Now, this is the first of, not the first, but of many, where God's people will be told, the Passover. You're going to do this every single year to remember what God has done for you. He brought you out of slavery. Uh, this festival, that festival, the booths that they eventually will build to remember living in the booths. So God has this great way. He understands the forgetfulness of man. Right? Forgetfulness of man. Maybe you've forgotten a gift before. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been called by my mom. Hey, uh, I forgot this gift. I've left it in my car, you know, and I just found it. You know, maybe even months later. She's never done it that long, but maybe you have. You know, months later, oh, I forgot to give you this gift. I found this gift. You know, and it's almost like, hey, it's re-Christmas over. Awesome. But we're forgetful. We forget things. We lose touch with things. And so we're a constant have to be reminded. We need reminders of things and events so that we can praise the Lord. Gratitude must be continually fed, unlike resentment, who lives on naturally what Dennis Prager said, and I like that quote, because it takes effort to be grateful. It takes effort. Resentment, on the other hand, is always readily available, right? It's always there. We can find some reason to be unhappy. We can find some reason to be an Eeyore. It doesn't take long to look. But the extra goal, going the extra mile, you might say, is being grateful for what we have And it's really hard to strive for righteousness and goodness without gratefulness. To understand just what God has done. Now, the flip side of that is you get into verses 2 and 3 and you understand, and God understands, that this gratitude or this attitude of gratitude and monotheism are tied together in a large way, but they're not overnight things. They're not overnight things. I'm thankful for that because that means God's still working. God's still working on me. Now, there are some of you folks that are like Mary, right? Somebody shows up, this is how I want it done, and you're like, right, yes, all right, how high do you want me to jump? You know, A-okay, yes, sir, and you're doing it. You don't even need a rule book. You just do what you're supposed to do. And I love those students, but I'm not one of those, right? And then you got the kids that, well, uh, you know, they don't even need that. They don't even need to be told what to do. They just, they just do it. They just seem to be decent human beings. And I can't wrap my mind around that. And then there are people like me that I need it explained. I need it shown. I need it repeated over and over and over and over again. And then eventually, that seeps through that big thick bone right here in the front of my head. And so I need to be reminded over and over again of gratitude. But we see verse 2 through 3 here. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. 
And you see, this is the point, right? As mentioned earlier, God wants to be with us. I love that passage in John 14. I've got to go that something better can come. Something better than Jesus? Are you kidding me? Yes. Like how cool would it have been to spend three years with Jesus in his ministry? But now he's telling them, I'm going to come and dwell in you. See, God has always wanted to be with his people. And Jacob makes that statement. He's gone with me wherever I've gone. Even when my motives have not been pure, God has stuck with me. Even when my motivation was pure, but things didn't work out the way I wanted them to, who has been the consistent? Who has been the constant? And this God, this Yahweh, that in spite of my own scheming, always comes through in the clutch. <laughs> and buddy, I'm a schemer, Russ. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to try to work things out for the best time possible. And that don't always work out. And it very rarely does it work out the way I want it to. And I think that's really the next point. It's very easy for us, especially in this time of the year, to make Jesus our God or the Holy Spirit out to be Santa Claus, right? And there is a great spirit of gifting. That's what we try to get to our kids. Hey, anybody who has the spirit of gifting, that they want to give something, which is more blessed, right, to give, you're living out that spirit, the giving spirit. But we got to be careful that we're not treating God like the great concession and stand in the sky. That I want it to look like this, and here is my expectation, but when He doesn't meet our expectation, or He doesn't do it the way we want Him to do it, then we don't start doubting the provider of those. I would be willing to guess if you look back through Jacob's life, you can go back to chapter 34 in this debacle at Shechem, I'll let you read that on your own. And I imagine that Jacob's looking at that and going, man, I'd rather that not had gone that way. And you can look back at all the patriarchs that we spent weeks talking about, and most of them, had they been given everything and in every way they wanted, it would have looked completely different. But it's the God who comes in the clutch. right? Usually the clutch means we're kind of in a spot where we don't necessarily want to be. I don't understand those people who have the clutch gene. You know, the people who, who smile in the face of this stunning adversity because they know that God's timing is perfect. That they're, I don't like being in that spot. I don't look for that spot. I don't work my way into those spots, intentionally anyways. But then I wake up and I find myself there. But we can trust in a God. He's not going to do it the way we want to. And so our expectations need to be a little tempered. But then he's also the God of Ephesians where it says he can do, all, he can do more than we can think or imagine. But our, you know, most of us, given our path, we can look back on our life and we look at the journey and we go, man, I would have rather just not that happened. I'd rather it not have been that way or maybe through that valley or even maybe that mountaintop. I'd rather not have to learn that the hard way. But that's a part of being available. Lord, I don't want to learn it the hard way. Make me a robot if you would. But he's not going to do that. Right? Because then what's there to learn? There's a learning process that's involved. But these things are not overnight events. You might look at Jacob's family and go, how could you possibly have idols? How could you possibly have those things? He has come so... All you've seen over and over again is God's blessing. But let's be honest, 
Right? We may not call them idols, but they're definitely things that we hold on to that make us feel more comfortable in a situation that that thing has no power whatsoever. You know, we wink and laugh at kids, you know, because they have these silly things that they, you know, they find hope in. And we may even wink and go, okay, that's fine, you can have it. But we see Jesus do that over and over again. Sure, you know, if that's what's going to make you feel better, that's okay for now. But there's going to come a day where you realize how silly that was. And I think most of us that have lived long enough and been Christians long enough all see things in our life and maybe even see something today that we know deep down, that's silly. There's no point in that. It doesn't do anything. But even God knows us because He created us. He knows what our temptations are. He knows we're a little, uh, you know, fidgety. And He knows we're a little uh, untrusting. And uh, that we all have those trust issues, and yet He keeps coming with it. We look at, uh, if you look at the rest of the chapter, if you look through 16 through 29, death shows up. There's three major folks who die in this chapter. And I imagine that once again, if Jacob had his way, that wouldn't have occurred. But there are things to learn in every situation. Verses 4 through 7, we see this renaming continues. Uh, As they set out, verse 5, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Now, that may have to do with God. I would think that I would give him the most credit there, but after chapter 34, you might be scared of him too. You know, just saying, go back and read that on your own. Verse 6, eventually Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, uh, which in the Hebrew means nowhere. Like if you've ever said, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Luz. That's literally nowhere. Like it, it goes from not having any meaning whatsoever to the meaning of Bethel, the house of God. And I want that to be lost on you. Right? They're, they're probably the most darkest places you've ever been in life. It may be an actual geographic location, 7th floor Huntsville Hospital. It, it could just be a moment in your life where you're like, man, I just feel in my soul that I'm in the middle of nowhere. And you know who's there's with you? God. That's what Jacob is making a statement. When I was in the middle of nowhere, spiritually, physically, God was there. And now he's taken this middle of nowhere and he's turned it into the house of God, Bethel, which is what that means in Hebrew. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau, at the most desperate time in his life, God was there. And I think that's the beautiful thing about this intergenerational. There's just a natural value, and I don't want to call anybody out, in seeing people that have gray hair, who have been through the battles, who have seen the worst, and they're still here. If you never say a word of encouragement... To, to any of these young people, and all of you do, that means something. It has a meaning. God Himself says, hey, that is a crown. That is a thing to take value in. And you've lived life, you've stayed committed, you've trusted, and that is a rock of Ebenezer, a rock of reminder that yes, there are people out there who have stayed committed through the thick and through the thin. And so I appreciate that, and we've seen that in our family, and we've, we've definitely benefited. And so we see this change. We get to 9 through 14 of that chapter. Now that Jacob had returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. 
God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So notice where God appears to him again at Bethel. There are places in our lives that we return to, and just by being in the presence of that place, it encourages us. At Maywood Christian Camp, uh, last night we, were, uh, we had our family get together for my dad's side of the family, and it's in the shadow of the football stadium I played in high school. And man, it's just like just being near that place and realizing, hey, you went through some stuff and some things too, but you made it, you survived. And so there's that thing, and even those places that we look at and go, man, that's, that's a reminder of where we've been, where we've come from. And God keeps showing up to him. He says, not only is this place name going to change, but you're going to change. Your, your journey is not over. I think we make a mistake when we look and we arrive. Sometimes we, in our minds, we've arrived. And the thing about it is, is that we've never arrived. We've never arrived. I, I think of Peter, you know, Acts chapter 2, this this moment where the church, 3,000, I don't know about you, I've never preached a sermon with 3,000 people actually replied first and foremost. They were so moved, they yelled, what are we supposed to do? But then his journey's not over, is it? Acts 10, Lord, I don't know about these folks. I know about these folks. That's all you need to know. Like, I've got this, right? Paul and Peter, you know, they had... Had their yeah yeahs right? We, we look at Acts 2 and we think, oh, and they lived happily ever after. You know, and we skip Acts 15 where there's this whole get-together and go, hey, we got to figure out what we're doing here. Right? And they bring everybody in. we got to figure out what's going on. There are bumps. There's bruises. There's issues. And we've never arrived. And that's sometimes, I think, what keeps people away from the church is at some point we've either projected an idea that we've all arrived... And there's nothing else to change. There's nothing else to turn. Or one person projected that, and everybody else has just done really good with their propaganda, right? Uh, you know, I, one. You know, yes, there are people who've said, I'm sure. Well, we're the only ones going to heaven, but and I'm sure that's been said somewhere. But I've been growing up my entire life, and I've never heard that literally said from the pulpit. You may often be like, call a guy's name, and that's great. But somebody's done really well with the propaganda there. Like somebody took it and they ran with it. Right, and we kind of let them because we don't really act like we're not. You know, we don't want to act humble. We've arrived. I think at any point when we do that, we've made a mistake. And I think the thing that Jacob continues to remember and learn as he goes is, I've really not arrived. There's no place where this ends until God says it's finished. Right? It's finished. And too many times we're saying that's enough before God is truly going, uh, I'm not finished. I, now it's finished. I determine when this path and this life is over. It's very similar, verse 11. We'll look there real quickly as we wrap up our time together. Then God said, I'm El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your Descendants. If you look at Galatians, Paul tells them, he says, you Christians, you Gentile Christians, really you Christians are more the heirs of Abraham than the Jews. I can't think of a more unpolitically correct statement that Paul can make, Russ. Like, I don't know that we get that, but you read that and you go, whoa. You know, Paul is not uh, playing it, you know, safe here. Saying because of Jesus... 
because the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, you have more in common and you are more in the lineage of Abraham than these physical, ethnic, even religious Jews. I'm like, whoa, you know? Like, that's a hard message. I don't know that I would be willing to preach that lesson. I'm, you know, two, 3,000 years removed, and here he is in the moment going, no, if you're not in Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing's changed. The process hasn't truly began. And so this morning, that's the question. Right? Are you in Jesus? Have you made that commitment? Have you had that Bethel moment where God, is? The, it's His power that convicts? There's nobody that responds to the gospel because of my elegance. Let me tell you that. You guys all know that, right? Or my eloquence. I don't have any of that. I am a redneck through and through. I'm still trying to determine if I'm proud of that or not, but it just depends on the day. But if it came down to my elegance, we'd all be lost. It's the power of God that convicts. It's the power of God that changes. It's the power of God that, that reached out to Mary and made her a woman to be highly adored. That's different, right? Don't think that she's God, but there's something special there. And I think the response of going the complete other direction is not a good one. So we got to meet where the Bible meets. Well-honored, special, different. But what made her different? That God reached to her and she said, Be it done unto me. This morning, if you're not in Christ... You're not making that statement. You got some, whoa, okay, well, that sounds great. And that's wonderful, but I'm not quite ready to commit. Aren't we glad that Jesus didn't do that? Aren't we glad that Jesus didn't come and kind of put the brakes on? Well, I'm just not really commit to these people that some of them will never commit to me. No, he did what he was supposed to do. He, he was the epitome, and I haven't used this phrase in a while, don't worry about the mule being blind, just load the wagons. He came to do what he could do so that we could do what we never thought we could do. You may be sitting there right now going, I can't do that. That's the first step. How about that? You've already made the first step. If you're making that statement, guess what? You're right. You can't do that. But God can. And that's maybe where you're at. Maybe this morning you are a Christian. I would be willing to guess that most people in here are. The ones who are hearing this message, you are. And hopefully there's a challenge there that I'm going to be a little different. I'm going to accept the challenge to continue on this journey. But the encouragement there is that you are never alone. Never alone. I've been in that place where I've been in a big crowd and felt by myself. I've been in that place where, you know, I was completely physically alone. But then on the other hand, I felt spiritually full it's a crazy thing it's that thing that paul talks about about peace that passes all understanding i want you to know you're not alone here every one of us have a struggle every one of us have a a thing and if you're like me you have things plural that could be better if you keep trying to do it by yourself you might as well come up here and just hit your head against this wall because you're not going to get far you're not going to get very far you're going to be right back in it a God who knows your tendencies, He knows you better than you know yourself, is the God who comes along and says, hey, why don't you stop beating your head against that wall and let's really get the ball rolling. Let's, let's see what I can do with that if you'll just give it to me. But no matter where you are, I hope you're encouraged by Jacob and understand that God reaches out to this schemer and says, I can take you 
and I can do something with that. But you got to be available. So wherever you are this morning, if you're available, uh, we'd love nothing more than to serve you, help you. We're going to pass this microphone, and you can share the glorious things God has done in your life, the things that you're struggling with, and we will be no happier to give you the gift of praying for you fervently, not just today, throughout the week, throughout the months, and throughout the years. We would love that opportunity. Help us to encourage others around you as we stand and sing.